Hi, everyone. Welcome to Health 101, where we're going to talk about an issue that is really tough for all of us to acknowledge because we all have issues with the screen time that we're spending, whether we're adults, whether we're children, whether the parents and family members of young people. I know right now you're listening to this and you're actually got the phone in your hand and you're thinking, oh, should I put this down and listen? So we're going to talk about it all. We're going to talk about some of the unintended consequences of all this time that we're spending in front of these devices. And so we brought in our two experts, Melissa St. Germain, a pediatrician, and Lance Kugler, who is an ophthalmologist. And let's start with the kiddos because I'm going to be the first to admit there are days where when they're yanking on you and saying, please, can I have your phone and your the tablet? And they're just kind of driving me nuts. I'm here. Yes, can I ele- have a quiet dinner, please? Yes. <laughs> the electronic babysitter. It's, uh, it's very easy to do and it's very easy to get into that habit and that routine. Um, but especially with younger kids, there are definitely consequences to them being put in front of screens. We spend, especially in the first two years of life, uh, a lot of our development is happening in the brain. Um, our, our brain grows exponentially in those first two years. And when we're exposed to screens, it wires things differently. And uh, we tend to see more problems with attention later on. So kids who are exposed to lots of screens early on in life tend to have a harder time in school um, because it's not as exciting to sit and listen to one teacher as it is to sit in front of a screen that's constantly flashing and making noise and um, and a lot less interactive. So that's what we see early on. And then obviously with the teenagers, then you start to get into the problems with being on social media all the time and with um, some of those social issues, we don't communicate as well when we are used to communicating through a device. It becomes very hard to read facial cues and to pick up on some of those nonverbal cues that don't come through in the screens. Well, we talk about that from that point, but then Lance, we actually are having an epidemic of myopia. And I was reading an article in Nature magazine about the growth in myopia. Can you give me some context for what myopia is? And they believe the correlation. They used to think it was you, the kids didn't play outside enough. And now they're starting to look at screen time as one of the causal factors, are they not? Right. So myopia, yeah, we are in the middle of an epidemic. And it's affecting 35% of the world's population. So there's 3.4 billion nearsighted people worldwide projected to be 4.8 billion by the year 2050. Should we normally be? I mean, there's normally a population that is myopic. There is, but it's growing. And the number diagnosed and continues to increase in each year. So it's kind of an exponential curve. So the, the growth of myopia is exceeding the growth of people. The, the birth rate. So there's more people near side than there used to be. And it's particularly a problem in Southeast Asia where it can be as high as 80 or 90% of people. So there's certainly a genetic component to it. But, you know, the, the research has really proved out over the years that, that increased exposure to things at near, it's not necessarily screens. It's anything that, re- that requires close vision uh, when we're young and our eyes are developing does seem to increase the risk of myopia. So, you know, the, the, the old joke of the nerds wearing glasses, right? Well, it's kind of true because they're inside studying and reading and doing things inside and they end up myopic. So there's some truth to that. And the screen itself probably isn't contributing as much as the screen gives us something of interest that's up close. And kids are more likely to be interested in that than 
a book or something like that, the book would have the same effect. My guess is then, given what we do now in America and around the world with phones, I mean, I look at how big our screens are now, but they still, I mean, I still am like holding it very close to my face and kids are as well. So I'm assuming a lot of that plays into it, how close you're pulling that to you. Yeah, anything closer than, you know, four or five feet away requires our eye to, to, to accommodate, meaning the muscle inside the eye has to focus to see up close. So that's the, the muscle that, that is active to see up close. And there's, there's lots of theories about why the near vision causes myopia to worsen, and, and it's not entirely figured out yet. But we know that um, some of the forces of that muscle might change the way the eye develops, and we also know that the, the blurring of the image in the periphery, in the peripheral part of the retina in the back of the eye, also stimulates uh, growth of the eye, which causes myopia. So there's, there's a couple of different mechanisms. Um, we also know that light, that natural light, exposure to natural light seems to slow down myopia. So when we have exposure to natural sunlight playing outside, that seems to prevent myopia compared to uh, unnatural light on the on, in, indoors. And it's probably, the, the most recent studies are showing it's probably not whether it's natural or unnatural light, but it's more the intensity of the light. Like sunlight is good for us and it prevents this progression. And also when you're outside, you're not looking at things up close as much. You're playing, you're, you know, you're looking far away and less likely to have that stimulus as well. When you see families and kiddos, Melissa, can you tell pretty easily who's spending an inordinate amount of time? Yes, they bring the screens in with them. So, they, <laughs> so that's the first sign right there, I the obvious the room one. And there's three kids and they're all being totally silent because they've all got their own phone. Um, that's a pretty good indicator that they're spending probably more time on screens than they should. And the American Academy of Pediatrics has put out guidelines on how much time our kids should be spending on screens. And the recommendation is kids under two shouldn't have any, really, or very minimal. Um, from age two to six, about an hour a day, and then above age six, no more than two hours per day of screen time. That gets hard when you get into the old, the middle school kids and the teenagers because they're doing homework um, on tablets most of the time now. Um, most of the high schools in Omaha are giving them a tablet or requiring them to purchase one, and then most of their homework is on there. So some of those kids have two hours of homework a day, and it's uh, very hard to stick to those limits when they're um, having to do so much stuff in front of the screen. Lance, do you tell your adult patients to limit their screen time? And that's even a stranger concept because... I think when people think about it, they're like, well, they don't even count the fact that they probably spend eight to 10 hours a day at work sitting in front of their computer screens. Yeah. And, and I don't, I, I think screens are more demonized than they really need to be. It's more just the near work and staring at things that's the problem. So there's a lot of talk about blue light, mm -hmm. you know, and, and certainly um, screens have an intense blue light that we don't normally have indoors. But, you know, we evolved without screens and we evolved outdoors in the sunlight, which is the strongest source of blue light there is. And so we're supposed to be in blue light all day. The problem is at night when the sun goes down, um, blue light affects our circadian rhythms. It affects melatonin and other things. And there is evidence to suggest that exposure to that blue light when the sun goes down can affect our sleep patterns. Um, so there, there's probably something to that, although they did a, a study recently where they actually exposed teenagers to blue light on a tablet for an hour before bed, and they could detect no difference in sleep patterns between those kids and the ones who didn't. So it's not entirely clear, 
but we do know blue light does affect melatonin and sleep patterns. So it's it's reasonable to use the blue light setting on your tablets or to or to have you know to not use it at night. Use a, a reading light and use a book instead. Um, but I think w- when it comes to uh, adults and screen time, I don't I don't worry about it other than the circadian rhythm issue. But again, it, it's a, a shiny screen is something that's getting our attention and we're staring at it. And so when you're staring at something, you don't blink as much. And when you don't blink as much, your tears evaporate. When your tears evaporate, your eyes are dry. So that's where all the dry eye strain and things are coming from. It's just because you're staring at something. It happens to be a screen. But if you stared at a brick wall, you'd have the same problem. So it's more about staring and not blinking and taking care of your tears than it is the actual screen. I think the other hard part, especially in the evenings with the teenagers, is what they're looking at on the screens, which is social media and things that are very stimulating. So in addition to just the blue light issue, I think they're... um, you know, if you're getting ready for bed and you're watching, you're scrolling through all these social media sites and seeing all the fun things your friends are doing or you think your friends are doing, um, then it becomes very hard to shut down your brain. Yeah. Well, and that goes to the question that I think um, everyone is kind of trying to figure out right now. Are these apps, are these channels, are these platforms, are these devices built to be addictive. There is some evidence that if you're a programmer or coder, you are building these in order to increase the amount of time and to suck people in. And And the question is, what is happening in this addictive behavior to well, people? The, they based a lot of the, like, Fortnite um, yeah. on... Um, casinos and the games that they use there. And um, I think I read it's about 20 minutes. You die every 20 minutes in Fortnite, and then they show you how close you were to beating your opponent, and it's always like one or two points away. So then you think, oh, I've just got to try it one more time. And because they are um, collaborative games, you might be talking to your friends. They're like, oh, no, I'm not done yet. Come back and help me. And so that sort of leads to that ongoing um, kind of addictive behavior too. And that addictive behavior is hard to stop, don't you both think? Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. It hits some of those same pleasure-reward pathways as other addictive substances, too. And yet somehow we don't think of it as addictive because we can justify it as, oh, I'm working, I'm reading on my Kindle app, or I'm doing something that is, by every other measure, acceptable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's social pressure for it, too, like, you know, with Fortnite and, and things like that where collaborative games, I mean, you don't want to be left out. You know, you don't want to be the one who's not playing with your friends just as you don't want to be left out on the playground you don't want to be left out in the virtual world either so there's a pressure there too how do you counsel your family members because i i know you guys have young you have families and and you have you know siblings and cousins and everyone who probably ask you do you limit your family time I do. I I have three young kids, 11, 9, and 5, and they're not allowed to use screens during the week. So then on the weekends, they have um, tablets that they can use. Although, honestly, we end up watching movies as a family more. And I think that's important, too, is to look at what they're doing on the screens. And and watching things together is a lot more beneficial, a lot less harmful than the, the app that you're using on your own with no one paying attention. Yeah, I have uh, five kids, ages uh, 17 down to 10. So we've kind of gone through the gamut of, of all of this over the years. And, uh, you know, all parents are just trying to do the best they can to figure this out. I mean, everybody is trying the best they can. And, you know, what we've done is we'll have 
filters and limits and, and it's getting easier as the years went on. I mean, back when my daughter was younger, we had to manually do a lot of this, but now you can set these settings. So we, you know, we have time limits and we have uh, bedtimes where the devices turn off so that they're not on them too late. Cause that was probably the biggest issue we faced was that they were on them and they're, you know, after <laughs> bedtime and not going to sleep. And so that was a problem. But, you know, really our philosophy has been, you know, otherwise it's sort of, they're busy enough with so many other things that if we keep them busy enough and doing other productive things, then they don't have a lot of time to waste on the devices. So it doesn't become a consuming thing for them. It's more, you know, if they have a break or they have a weekend and they have time to do something on it, then they do. And so that's kind of been our, our approach to it. Um, and it's so far worked okay. But then the other, you know, the other thing I think people struggle with is, you know, we might, we might identify all these problems and we might say, well, you know, we're not supposed to have these screens. We didn't evolve with them. They're not part of what we're supposed to be as humans. But on the other hand, this is the new reality. And so these kids, their world, this is it. I mean, it's going to be like this forever for them. And so, you know, part of it is they have to learn the new reality. And part of it is they need to learn how to use these devices and exist with them because they're not going anywhere, you know? And so we can restrict it, but they're still there and they're not going anywhere. So that's another struggle I think people have. Yeah, well, teaching that self-regulation, teaching them to, yeah. to be able to set their own limits Correct. and to um, recognize their own limits. Well, and talk about the you know, pot calling the kettle black, I think is the phrase, euphemism that is used. I mean, I think about, then the question is, what do we model? Right. Because I, I'm going to admit, I probably don't model what I say should practice. <laughs> right. I think um, screen-free dinners are a great thing. And yeah, it's hard to make that transition. But once that becomes the routine, then um, I think that's very beneficial. That's a great time for families to connect without a screen in front of their faces. So I'm not saying you can't use them at all, but at least saying, okay, we're going to take this half hour and, and not have our, any, any of our screens on. Lance, what are the signs that whether you're a kiddo or whether you're an adult, that you're showing signs of eye strain because you don't blink, because you're spending so much time right. in front of these devices and or in anything of which you're staring too long. Um, what's the first sign that something's not going right? And well, you know, people don't usually say, oh, my eyes feel dry. Usually they feel strained. They feel tired. Mm -hmm. uh, their vision may be blurry, you know, intermittently. Uh, they might say, you know, if I, my eyes just feel so tired and blurry by the end of the day, that's usually a good sign that during the day they're probably um, staring at something more than they should be. They're probably getting too much evaporation. So that's, those are kind of the early signs. Um, you can get, you know, this, the kind of the redness, the, a lot of people think they have allergies. They'll say, oh, well, I have allergies and my eyes are red. It's usually not allergies. In fact, it rarely is. It's almost always dryness. And so, you know, it can be confusing what the symptoms are. Do you see kids with red eyes? <laughs> oh, all the time. Um, I think in kids, it's probably a little more likely right. to be allergies. And conjunctivitis yeah, right, yeah, and yeah, yeah. pink eye. I'm, I'm talking about adults. Yeah, <laughs> right. About adults. Yeah. 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 Kids are less likely to have dryness because their tear production is so much better than, than adults. But they can get it too. Um, but we certainly see it in adults that are, and, you know, oftentimes they're working on a computer all day in an institutional type building that's got dry air. And, you know, environmentally, there's things that are hurting them too. And then they got their contacts that are making their eyes dry. So there's just a million insults that they have. Um, and the screen is just one more thing, staring at the screen. Or what? the medical issues I see are the neck strain, the um, um, the back pain, those sorts of things. Um, because we're hunched when we're holding those devices in our hands, all of our muscles kind of hunch forward. And then we have trouble with um, sitting up straight and, and that puts strain on our spine. What 
do you want to tell people if they start feeling that eye strain, should they be going to the Visine? Should they be grabbing something over the counter for eye, dry eye or, or sure. you know? So Visine is best avoided. Uh, <laughs> it, has a, it has a compound in it that constricts the blood vessels on the eyes and that it, you can actually get a little bit of an addiction to it, like a oh. chemical, you know, where, where your eyes get redder if you don't use it. So we typically don't recommend Visine. But there are hundreds of artificial tears that are that can be useful. I mean, we usually recommend ones that are preservative free, um, and there's a whole bunch of, of different ones that are that are good. You can ask, you know, an eye doctor. People can ask their eye doctor what's recommended. Um, but that can be helpful. But there's this kind of catchphrase they call it twenty twenty twenty. So for every twenty minutes that you use a screen, take a twenty second break and look twenty feet away. 2020 and so it's just it's just kind of a good little break every 20 minutes to look across the room change your focus to something far give your eyes 20 seconds to kind of rest and that's useful and then if you're if you are having dryness issues to take that time and and it's a good opportunity to put a drop in any thoughts on how to help families maneuver forward with some of this i mean because i think there's also the emotional you know there's this is such a hard fought area because there was the time when we were accused of being bad parents if you set your kid in front of the TV for too long. And then when you hear about the tech leaders who don't let their kids have any access to technology and you think, oh my gosh, what do they know that we don't know? I feel like we're learning something every day about this. Well, but they don't know anything we don't know. So, <laughs> I mean, what they're doing is they're just trying to be good parents. Yeah. They, they don't. It's not like there's some secret project, you know, in their companies <laughs> that have revealed, you know, information on this. They just see the same concerns concerns that every other parent sees and they're just trying to do you know what's right and they happen to be the leader of a company so it makes the news but we're all trying to do you know what's best um so you know i i think i think parents like i said before everyone's trying to do the best that they can and i think there's a lot of evidence to suggest that limiting screen time as much as you feasibly can has some benefits to it but i also think people need to um need to realize that the, that this is the new reality and you, it, it's it's probably not realistic com- to completely eliminate them from your kids' lives because it's, it's part of life. And so that balance is what is important to strike. And to make sure you're doing that social interaction and you're trying to create that in-person feeling. Right, of- definitely times for inter- in-person communication. So the screen-free dinners are a good idea. And I mean, in pediatrics, we're trying to change behavior. So we're going for low-hanging fruit, like go for the things that we think we can do. Um, so half an hour without screens at dinner time, And then the other big one that I um, try to impress upon parents is not having those screens plugged in right by your bed. And I'll have to look into some of these apps you were talking about yeah. that will <laughs> shut your device off at a certain time because that would be helpful. But And a lot of um, the teenagers will say, well, that's my alarm. I can't be without my phone. That's my alarm. Go buy a $10 alarm alarm clock and please put your phone outside outside of your room because all of those even if you've got it on vibrate or silent still every time you're trying to go to sleep and something alerts you that disrupts your sleep cycle and makes it harder so I think those two things even if we can't we can't get rid of the screens you're right but if we can sort of um, set those limits that's helpful and we're all just trying the best we can and so forgive yourself don't be too hard on yourself for all of us for what we're trying to do well thank you both for such a good conversation. Thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. A Parkville Media Production. The information shared in this podcast is for informational purposes only. 
The views and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the presenters and do not represent the thoughts, advice, or opinions of the Metro Omaha Medical Society. The information contained in this podcast should not serve as the basis for any medical treatment and is not intended to be a substitute for actual medical advice. Before making changes to your health care plan or a loved one's, always consult with a health care professional.